Cue the scary music. If you don't look cool, chances are you're doing something wrong. I played Half-Life. I didn't know Morgan Freeman was shooting gravity guns, but... If you don't have scratches on your gun, either you're not training hard enough, you're not pushing yourself hard enough, or you're not pushing your gun hard enough. And think of them as a broken nose. Badge of honor. I don't have a lot of experience with pikes. Um, my understanding is they're very long. Daniel has over 15 years experience as a Marine infantryman. I have over 20 years experience as a law enforcement officer. Combined, we have about 30 years of experience as firearms instructors and 32 years of experience carrying concealed weapons. The purpose of this show is to discuss firearms, equipment, and training as it relates to self-defense from a military, law enforcement, and civilian perspective. Hello, welcome to Gunfighter Cast. I'm your host, Daniel Shaw. Today I have a, a guest that uh, you guys are all going to recognize the name, honored with his presence, Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman. Hi, Dave. Oh, Daniel. Good to be on, good to be on board. Thanks for what you've been doing. Uh, you guys are American heroes. What you're putting together at the show, the things you're doing, I'm proud to be associated with you. Awesome. Well, I appreciate that. And, uh, and thank you for what you do, traveling all over the place, uh, getting the good word out all the time. Uh, I know you don't make millions of dollars doing it, uh, traveling and doing that kind of stuff. So uh, it's good that you're, uh, that you're out doing that, giving some good information to people who need it. It's been a good ride, Daniel, and, 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 and that's a good place to begin because I do that for a reason. I have a deep and profound sense of urgency. Uh, I, I believe very, very bad times are coming. Our children have committed crimes as children like nothing in human history. There's never been a thing in history like uh, like Jonesboro or Columbine. And those kids grew up to give us Virginia Tech. And Sandy Hook was inevitable. And people need to realize that it's a worldwide phenomenon. Uh, the two most horrible mass murders in a high school by a student were in Germany. Uh, 17 dead in Erfurt, Germany by a high school dropout. 15 dead in Witten, Germany in 2009. Not only does Germany have European gun laws, they have some of the strictest gun laws in Europe. And yet the two most horrible school massacres have happened in Germany. Finland's had three. Norway's had two. Sweden's had two. Taiwan had one. Around the planet, children are committing crimes to children like nothing in human history. And they're growing up with crimes we can't imagine. Uh, I've been predicting for years that we'll see elementary school massacres. And Sandy Hook was just the beginning. We're going to see daycare massacres. Belgium had a daycare massacre in, uh, in 2009, a, a guy in Belgium, uh, uh, on the anniversary of the death of the actor who played the Joker, with orange hair, this guy comes in a daycare center in Belgium, knocks on the door and quotes a line for the movie. I have one question. Now, that's, that's the Joker's line. Uh, uh, he crashes Harvey Dent's party, says, I have one question. Where's Harvey Dent? He murders one daycare worker with a butcher knife, wounds another daycare worker, and hacks and stabs 12 little babies in the crib. Now, all the gun laws on the planet didn't do any good when he walked in a daycare center with a butcher knife. Uh, and uh, Japan had a daycare massacre. China's had repeated daycare massacres. Across China, we see daycare massacres and kindergarten massacres, and we know Sandy Hook is just the beginning. Uh, our children are committing crimes to children like we've never seen before. They're going to give us crimes we can't imagine. Norway. Uh, 69 dead kids on an island in Norway, 120 wounded because nobody there had a gun. That's what happened. They create this perfect little island nirvana. This is our little liberal paradise. Nobody has a gun. And that's where the bad man came and committed the all-time solo gun massacre in human history. The all-time solo gun massacre in human history because nobody had a gun. And this is the generation, the generation kill. The good kids out there are very good. They went to war. They fought a war with the 
with all time, all peacetime, well, all wartime volunteers for the first time since the American Revolution. Uh, it, 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 nobody was drafted into this war. Four years into this war, nobody enlisted before the war got stuck with the war. For the last eight years of this war, the most magnificent kids our nation has seen in 200 years have fought this war. The good kids out there are very good. The bad ones are very bad. Mexico's our future. Uh, the cartels have kicked Mexico's tail. They won, and they're coming at us like a freight train. Mexico basically has backed off. It's not worth the bloodshed. We give up. Uh, they're still trying to draw the line somewhere. But the cartels have kicked Mexico's tail, coming at us like a freight train. Gang crime and gang membership in America is exploding. Uh, the feds tell us we have more true blue criminal gang members than the entire active United States Army. It's increasing by 40,000 a year. There's your zombie apocalypse coming at you like a freight train. Yep. Sandy Hook all around us. Mexico is our future. In Mexico, there's been more loss of life in Mexico than Iraq and Afghanistan put together. All you Iraq and Afghanistan veterans, wrap that around your mind. In Mexico, there has been a war. And there's been more loss of life than Iraq and Afghanistan put together, and the enemy won. The cartels have, have essentially won. And they're coming at us like a freight train. Our homegrown gang members, our own sickos like Sandy Hook. And then on top of all of that, we have the terrorist threat. If they do to us what they did to Russia, they're going to wait until the last troops leave Afghanistan. And if they give us a 9-11 scale attack right now, they'll never get us out of there. It's their moral, religious obligation to kick us off their turf first. And they know darn well that they'll never get us out of there. They'll never generate the public will to get us out of there if they give us a 9-11 scale attack now. Very bad times are coming. And one of the areas that will be attacked is our churches. Uh, we've seen churches being uh, attacked uh, around the planet and across America. We've seen churches being attacked. Our wackos have been given permission to hate the church, yep. hate religious people. They're, 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 the, the message of the modern media is religion is evil and religious people are evil. In Paducah, Kentucky, one of the school massacres, a kid opened fire, a high school freshman opens fire on a prayer circle out in front of the school. He's been given permission to hate religious people and the churches are going to be attacked. And we've got to prepare our churches. And that's what this conference coming to Wichita is about. Anything you could do to help me get the word out about that would be deeply appreciated. Absolutely. Uh, the link to all that stuff will be in the show notes here, and it'll be up on Facebook. You've probably seen me sharing it a little bit for all the listeners out there. If you're in the local area, you get to. We'll talk about that a little bit more later on. Uh, I don't know what to call you. I'm a Marine. You're a lieutenant colonel, retired. So I want to say lieutenant colonel. Uh, you introduce yourself as Dave Grossman. Dave, is that okay? It works great. Buddy. All right. Hello, great. Fellow, fellow sheepdogs on the ramparts of, uh, of of our civilization in this dark hour. Uh, you know, I uh, I talk about that, the sheepdog. I was one of the, the people that kind of generated that. We got our sheepdog children's book. Um, but when I, uh, when I talk to my churches, I'm able to talk a little deeper about who the shepherd is. And I, we are a sheepdog under the authority of the great shepherd, uh, protecting our flock, uh, endowed by our creator with inalienable rights, empowered by our constitution to keep in their arms, inspired by our forefathers to fight for this land I love. I, I am an American sheepdog under the authority of the great shepherd, and this is as far as the minions of hell are going. We're raising up church protectors. Uh, we've seen attacks on our churches where it was the people who stopped it in case after case. I, I tell my cops, if you love the people you worship with, you'll be carrying the guns to protect them. And we should seek churches where we're prepared to pr protect ourselves. The Bible gives us guidance over and over again. Habakkuk tells about how we worship with one hand and the spear in the other hand. Uh, Jesus in, uh, in Luke uh, uh, 22, 36, one of the last things he tells his disciples, shortly before he's executed, arrested and executed, 
Jesus says, I told you before, don't even take your cloak with you. Now I tell you, sell your cloak and buy a sword. Uh, Luke twenty-two thirty-six. It doesn't get clearer than that. We've got the responsibility to protect our flock, protect our houses of worship. How many people killed by church fire? Worshippers in a house of worship in America killed by fire during a worship service. Last hundred years, zero. I cannot find one single case in a hundred years where a worshiper in a house of worship in America during a worship service been killed by fire. How many killed by violence? Hundreds. Hundreds but, and hundreds. Dave, that's it. That fires uh, and and not you don't. Want, it's an inanimate object, you know. I mean, it may move and spread, but uh, we don't have to face the facts that there are evil humans out there. If we put a smoke detector or a fire extinguisher in a building, yes, yes, we'll have we'll have fire exits and fire sprinklers and fire alarms and fire hydrants and fire drills. You know, when I was a kid, yeah. I thought I'd have to stop, drop, and roll a lot more than I did <laughs> in my life. You know, as much as I practiced stop, dropping, and rolling, I thought it was going to be a common thing in my life, but never has happened. But, you know, stop, drop, and roll is a great example. Stop, drop, and roll didn't cause anxiety. It reduced anxiety. We know that bad things that happen, and we know what to do. Now, you know, uh, uh, today we're teaching our kids to throw something and run. I taught my two little grandkids, uh, you know, it, it, do you want, when the man walks in your kid's classroom, remember your kids, do you want them to sit and wait for their turn to die? Because if you don't teach them what to do, you teach them to do nothing. What you want to teach them to do is throw something and run. I set my two little grandkids, two elementary age grandkids, live right next door. I'm only home one or two nights a week, but uh, but I, I, I live I love them more than life itself. I, I sat them down at the kitchen table, standing at the door. I said, "Grandpa's a bad man. He's coming to your classroom to hurt you." We had a couple of paperback books in front of him. I said, "I want you to throw those books at me and run past me and get out the door." No, no, no. Do it again. Throw them hard. Throw them up my face. I'll block it. See. While I'm blocking my face, I can't hurt anybody. That was fun, Grandpa. Let's do that again. You know, uh, uh, it, 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 this school's nationwide are negligent if they don't teach the kids fire drills and stop, drop, and roll. And they're negligent if they don't teach them to throw something and run. We have we take styrofoam. We cut foam up into uh, foam or styrofoam-sized books. We we create foam chairs. About fourth grade, they can throw that chair. Twenty of those chairs come up, she'll get your attention. Uh-huh. And we got foam chairs and foam books. And nationwide, we're teaching kids. Throw the books, throw the chair, run past the bad man, and they love it. It's a blast. It's, it's like stop, drop, and roll on steroids. They love it. But we're teaching a generation of kids there's a time when you can fight. There's a time when you must fight. We're arming educators across America. Uh, Ohio's doing it. Texas doing it. Utah's doing it. Uh, we see it. It's happening in Missouri and Arkansas. We see it happening in, in Florida and Alabama and Georgia. Uh, and, and the crazy thing is, no teachers ever had to use their gun. It's because the gun is there that we'd never had to use it. We'd never had a massacre. We'd never had a multiple homicide in a school when there was somebody that building that could shoot back. The ultimate achievement kid, we didn't have to shoot the crime that didn't happen. Uh, and uh, the one time in a million, the kid drives it anyway, like San Diego, when there's a cop there, it's game over before the kid can begin to get his body count. But the vast majority of the time, the kid, we didn't have to shoot the crime that didn't happen because there's somebody there that can shoot back. Well, the same thing's true in our churches. And we're going to be in Wichita on the, you know, that, that uh, uh, sheepdog seminar. Uh, uh, the website will be linked here. Uh, uh, we're going to be talking. We've had the national leaders on church safety, uh, some incredible people that will be speaking. And then I'll speak. Uh, uh, I'll back clean up on the second day. Uh, any of you sheepdogs out there that are remotely interested in preparing to protect your homes, protect your businesses, protect your schools, and protect your churches. I just deeply encourage them to 
to to make a pilgrimage to uh, to this uh, Sheepdog for Churches seminar in Wichita coming up, or to other ones coming down the road. Yes, yeah, tons of good information. You know, I I've got this next thing. I was going to introduce you, introduce some stuff. You're going to talk about yourself, and that's what my plan was. But you're like the easiest guest ever. Uh, so uh, instead of uh, that, I, I do have some questions that I wanted to shoot, ask you. Shoot. And then I had a couple of listener questions that they wanted to ask right. you. And it's it's interesting the things you've already talked about. You know that that kind of just started off, and it's very similar to what I'm about to ask. Uh, I I I have thought for years. I haven't been in this game as long as you have. Um, uh, at least speaking to people and kind of being out there in the public eye a little bit, uh, not even close. Um, but I, I've anticipated for a while. I'm, I'm really surprised. I'm really surprised that we have not had uh, terrorism acts where they go into schools with firearms and start yeah. shooting children. That has really surprised me that, that some of the Islamist terrorists haven't taken talk, that up. That is the thing they do the most around the planet. And, and let me recap that. 1970, Israel, school bus massacre. From that, day on, over, yeah. from that day on, every school bus in Israel has had armed runners, uh, armed security. 1974, the Ma'alat school massacre in Israel. I, I, I teach the Turkish police. Uh, uh, Turkey tells us in the 80s and 90s, they had over 300 schools attacked by the terrorists. Algeria, hundreds of schools in the 80s and 90s attacked by terrorists. You imagine that here in our home. Well, you know, in, in we Iraq. Do? In Iraq, we saw suicide bomber after suicide bomber in the schools. We saw a chlorine bomb in the girls' school in Iraq. Chemical weapons against Islamic girls in the Islamic schools of their own nation. Uh-huh. Uh, in Indonesia, I trained Indonesian police. Give me a nice little award up on the wall there. In Indonesia, three schoolgirls were beheaded on the way to school. The little headless bodies left in the middle of the trail and their heads placed in three different locations as a signal to anybody that dares to teach anything other than their brand of religion. Southern Thailand joins Malaysia, heavy Islamic population. Across the three southern provinces of Thailand, public schools shut down indefinitely yep. because of terrorist attacks on the school. The schools still open in Thailand, have armed teachers and armed parents in the school 24-7, like Israel. Thailand found out the only way they keep the schools open is armed teachers and armed parents in the school. Google it. Thailand, terrorism, schools. I'm pretty uh, in touch with Thailand. I got some friends over there from training, yeah. some Thais, and yeah. uh, some higher ups in the military. They're friends of mine over there, and uh, it's surprising that you know the average person you're in touch with it you you travel the world and you talk to folks and train uh you know i've been all over the the pacific area you know in uh southwest asia and all that stuff it's people have no idea what's going on in the world and how dangerous these people are and what people are actually doing to to fight that threat yes in afghanistan in 2009 we had 600 reported attacks on schools of school children in one year alone 600 attacks each of just ones we know of in Afghanistan. Remember the mall massacre in Kenya last year? Mm-hmm. Everybody heard about the mall massacre, but a month before that, a school in Nigeria is wiped out. A week after that, another school in Nigeria is wiped out. Earlier this year, another school in Nigeria is wiped out, and then they wiped out a school and took all the girls hostage. Everybody heard about the, the Nigerian about school. Yep. But nobody told you where they came from. They went to a school, they murdered every adult, they murdered every male, and then they took the girls hostage. The media doesn't even want to talk about it. It's just too hard. They're going to do it to us, but they're going to wait until we leave Afghanistan. If they hit our schools right now, they would enrage us. They would never get us out of Afghanistan, and they know that. They're waiting. Now, it's far more complex, many variables in the equation. But if you were in their shoes, is that not what you would do? Wait until the stupid Americans. That's what they did to the Russians. It worked with Russia. Russia's in Afghanistan for 10 years. No major terrorist attacks on Russia until they left. 
That's what's coming. They're going to do it. And we've got 12 years to get ready. Uh, our, our military has kept them off our back. They kept it over there. As long as we're over there, odds are pretty good they're not coming over here. A, they have a religious obligation to kick us off their turf. B, uh, if they did it over here, they would never get us out of there. Vietnam, we sit down over beer with the Vietnamese generals. We do. The people who try to kill in Vietnam, we talk over beer. They told us the one thing they knew they must never do was launch terror attacks on America. They knew they would never get us out of Vietnam if they turn it into war on America. They, they had to keep it over there. They had to wait till the Americans got sick of the war. They would win it politically in America. They would never win it militarily. Uh, in Afghanistan, the Russians, same thing. They, they, they gave the Russians hell while they were in Afghanistan. They waited until they left. Osama bin Laden has flat promised us that, quote, Russia is our future. He's flat promised us what happened to Russia after America. And if you follow that all the way to the letter, it means they're going to wait until we leave, and then they'll get to sell. Now, our troops have fought and died for 12 years. Keep it over there. My boys, uh, Air Force Combat Controller, just got back from 7th Combat Tour. They fought and died to keep it over there. What have you done with these 12 years? Have you pissed your time away? Have you been training? Have you been preparing? I am not impressed with a guy that squirrels away 50,000 rounds of ammo. I'm not impressed. Have you got 100,000 rounds of ammo squirreled away? I'm impressed if you practice with 50,000 rounds and carry two extra magazines. I talk about that a lot. You know, everybody's really into the tangible items, things that they can count, things that they can take pictures of and put it on their favorite preparedness forums. But then, you know, I, I sell training. Dave. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a firearms trainer, self-defense yeah. trainer. Uh, I don't like titles like that. I usually tell people, what do you do for a living? I, I help people live a safer life, you know, and wow. that's, uh, that's kind of how I explain it to them. And it's... I, I tell people in every class, the day's coming. Handguns suck. Rifles are awesome. Uh, it's ballistically superior. Uh, oh, and I tell people oh. in every class, the day's coming where we're going to keep our rifle closer. It yes. just, I it, you don't have to be a crazy conspiracy theorist. Where you carry the rifle everywhere in Israel. You know, the, the rifle is a tool. Now, as we sit here right now, I'm going to be hitting the range. Uh, and I, uh, I'm, uh, I'm loading magazines. Uh, I'm one of the co-owners of the company that's got the lead for the, uh, for the, uh, the army contract, this is the uh, the MTX right here, and this is the uh, the top contender for the new army contract. It's the only modular 1911. It's a, it's got a, a rail. But uh, as we sit here right now, I'm spending my time just load up some magazines, go to the range, do some test firing. But but that's where we need to be. The the, the pistol is a tool we carry because it's convenient and socially acceptable, uh, and, and 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 we're good with it. We can make it sing. But when 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 the, the lockbox beside my bed has got an AR in it, uh, and the AR is is our tool of choice. It's our musket. Uh, it it is. Uh, if you had any military uh, time, it, you should you can make that AR stand up and sing. People ask me what gun should I get for home defense. Well, I tell them the last choice is a pistol. Now, if that's all you got, it's fine. But this is your home turf. You get to choose. Why would you choose to take a pistol to the gunfight when you could have a rifle? If you're a shotgun hunter, have some version of your trusty shotgun where you know where everything is in order to do it. You're a deer hunter, have some version of your deer rifle. If you got any military or law enforcement background, then you're government grade A certified to make an AR stand up and sing. And that ought to be the weapon that you Well, there's no, there's no even, there's not even any excuse anymore. Uh, there's so many, uh, good trainers out there right now. Local, yes. some of them nationally known. Yes. People that have used these rifles in combat who've actually had to yes. keep it working and take care of it for a year in straight. Years of combat. Think about that. The longest war in American history. 
12 years of combat. Now, nobody's been in the whole fight for 12 years straight, but there have been a lot of people that have been in, been in it year after year after year, and they have so much to teach us. We are so good. We have such a, a new greatest generation coming home. Another whole topic we could talk about is how our veterans have been smeared by the media. Uh, we're going to talk about veterans for a second. Well, we may not. We may not ever get there. Uh, uh, we're going to talk about some veterans here in a few minutes, yeah. without a doubt. Uh, the, the myth of our broken veteran is 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 a myth. Uh, the vast majority of them are strong from the experience. A new British is coming home. Uh, uh, the post-traumatic stress disorder in our veterans run about 8%. There's not a person in a 1,000 that knows that. They think, oh, 40%, 30%. Oh, and we're darn good at treating it. The vast majority we treat and recover fully. Uh, we've, we've had exactly, we've had 3 million Americans in the war zone over a period of 12 years. Uh, NPRP, Space Center New York Times piece, well, double bad news. Uh, over 100 veterans have come home and committed murder. Well, statistically speaking, over 12 years, our veterans should have committed several thousand murders. The murder rate for citizens 18 to 25 is 25 per 100,000. Any million Americans in that day group should have given us 250 murders. Three million Americans in that day group should have given us 750 murders last year alone. Uh, the veteran, pretty good. Yeah, and, and, then, and then the myth of, of suicide. Yes, yes, our suicide's up in our military. It's up to the point where it's the same as the general population, which is cause for concern. Every life is precious. But the myth of the suicidal, homicidal, PTSD-riddled veteran is, is a vile smear, and it's all politics. They're victims, victims of an evil presence, evil war. We must never You know, over. it's a lot of our own fault, and I say ours as, as veterans as well. You see them on reality TV. You see them on television, quick interviews. You see them all the time, and they've got this look on their face, and the listeners can't see mine right now, but they're, they're like, well, you know, I served in Iraq. I was doing this. And, you know, some of them never walked off of a Ford operating base and never did anything. But then some of them did. Uh, and I'll say that because uh, I, I I make fun of pogues and stuff. I'm still in that. So and we, some of them didn't serve. Some of them are flying. You know, that the whole Exactly. But they, they've got this whole mentality where, like, not all of them, but there's some out there that are kind of in the public eye. And that's the ones they grab. That's the ones the media pick and choose. The ones that are feel like that they have this sense of entitlement. You see, this history goes way back. You need to know this. Uh, during, after Vietnam, Mike Wallace did this thing about the veterans out in the, you know, in the rainforest of, uh, of, of California and Washington, you know, living in their hooches and, and, uh, and, and, and he big thing, but nobody checked. Not a single one of those people were actually veterans. They all lied. I, I worked with the park police. We had the Occupy, uh, DC program, you know, they'd thrown their medals over the wall. The park police checked up on these guys. Not a one of them who claimed they were veterans were veterans. The Supreme Court says you have the right to lie about getting a Medal of Honor. You, you, you have the right to lie about getting a Medal of Honor. These guys have a right to lie about being a veteran. But, but, but we don't have the right to believe them. You know, we should be checking them. And, and a lot of those who were, uh, as you said, never left the farm. Well, you're a so, reasonable but, and prudent person. Okay, yeah. our, our country is not full of those people anymore. Our country's full yeah. of people who will believe anything they say on the nightly news or – or whatever, get some a, a new cell phone yeah. or whatever. A, a recent survey, a recent survey tells us that military and law enforcement are two of the most respected institutions in America. The media and Congress are two of the most least respected institutions. What we've got is one of the most despised institutions in America, the media. The mainstream media is one of the most despised, loathed, disrespected institutions in America. And they know it. And they're taking all of their credibility to try to pull down the most respected institutions, and they're going to lose. But they'll do some harm on the way. That's a good point. They'll do some harm. 
we got bad times in front of us, brother, and we need our sheepdogs. We need our warriors. We need it. We absolutely do. Speaking of those bad times, uh, this is going to be my first question. You ready for this? Yeah. What motivates feral man? And I'm talking about those who just have that complete lack of sense of morals, ethics, and decency. What motivates them? What gets them out of bed and gets them to do the things they do? All right. There's really a body of research that covers that. And it's just it's called Kohlberg's moral reasoning. And the lowest level of moral reasoning is fear. Now, when you go to totalitarian nations, almost everybody's operating at fear. Saddam Hussein stayed in power over fear. Now, the next level above fear is greed. And, and greed's a step forward. Capitalism, free enterprise. And there's a shell of people in totalitarian nations that are at level two, greed. Uh, above greed is shame. Uh, you don't want people to know. Now, you, you might go to another town and go to a, where nobody knows you, and then you go get a prostitute. But in your home where people might know, you'll never do it. So that's shame. But the next level is a, is a internalized set of values for the law for the law's sake. It's the law, and I'll be it. But the highest level of moral reasoning says, I couldn't live with myself. Whenever you hear those words, I couldn't live with myself. You know, cops tell me all the time. I, I tell them, you know, darn well, if you're dropping the kids off to school tomorrow, somebody's killing the kids, you ain't got your gun. You couldn't live with yourself. You'd live the rest of your life in hell. So what we're dealing with is people functioning at the lowest moral reason. Greed and, and fear. They, they hate and fear the cops. They hate and fear their nation. Uh, and, and they're a member of a gang. And the gangs operate as totalitarian organizations at level one, fear and greed. Gang crime and gang membership is exploding. You know, I grew up, I wanted to be Marshall Dillon, one Adam 12 and Sergeant Friday. There's a generation out there that sincerely wants to be Sopranos. They want to be Breaking Bad. They want to be Sons of Anarchy. Grand Theft Auto V just came out. Grand Theft Auto V made more money. Motley Fool uh, uh, investing site says Grand Theft Auto V made more money than the entire global music industry. Think about that. Every rock concert, wow. every CD, every music video, every download on the planet. Grand Theft Auto V alone came out in September and made more money that year than the entire global music industry. And, and it's a cop-killing, society-hitting criminal video game. So what we've got is we've got a group of individuals who, who are completely sold out. The, the, the gang becomes their nation. When, when your nation says you go to Germany and kill Nazis, millions of Americans do. Your nation says kill cops, and they do. The gang becomes a nation, and the nation's flat ordered them to kill cops. The video games are their trainer, and they've been programmed to kill cops from the youngest days. Their recruiting tool, their propaganda tool. You know, the Army spent millions of dollars supporting Black Hawk Down. Why, why would we provide the helicopters? Why would we provide the experts for Black Hawk Down? Because we know millions of kids watch Black Hawk Down and say, that's what I'm going to do when I grow up. Well, guess what? Millions of kids are playing Grand Theft Auto. They're watching Sopranos, Sons of Anarchy, and say, that's what uh, I'm going to do. Think, you know, when I was a kid, I was laying in front of the TV with my toy. I'm 16 watching uh, Tour of Duty, and I wanted to be like Zeke and LT and, you know, go smoke bad guys. And it's uh, it's different. It's that's uh, I mean, you just covered my next question pretty much, but uh, you know, you talked about you know how they become that way. But what then? That, that's say that uh, that research again, so people can go look it up. The the name of that the reasoning or the moral reasoning. Kohlberg, K O H L B E R G, and we teach it a, a lot. The lowest level of moral reasoning is is fear, and then greed, and then shame, and then an internalized set of the law for the law's sake, which is which is better than the others. 
But finally, is, well, this highest level of moral reasoning is, is truly where you say, I, I couldn't live with myself. I've got a set of values. I don't care what you think. I don't care what happens. I, I, I'm going to live by those values, not because of fear, not because of greed, not because of because shame. Because it's the right thing to do. I believe it's the right thing to do. Absolutely right. And a lot of people, you know, they gang around. Well, yeah, man, it's, it's the right thing to do. Ask them the right questions. Start digging in and see where they're coming from. It's all about fear and greed and maybe just a tiny bit of shame. And that's all that motivates them on the world. They're the idea that there's a higher set of values we must pay attention to. The idea that they, they're going to have to answer for their actions. Yeah. Along the same lines here, this isn't in what I planned on, but I want to ask you your opinion on this. Uh, we've already talked a little bit about, you know, Islamist terrorists, and uh, uh, I can't say Islamists by themselves anymore because as I've studied Islam and, and a history of terrorism and everything else, back to the French Revolution, I use words and people think to them they don't understand that, and so I get yelled at and get emails, so now I have to say, be redundant and say Islamist terrorist instead of just Islamist. Um, uh, that kind of happens. I'm sure you deal with it all the time too yourself, huh? So. I have some theories, and I've, I've talked to some people and looked into a little bit. Uh, you know, the the people that were fighting, and we've the halls of Montezuma and the shores of Tripoli. You know, uh-huh. the, the beginning of the Marines hymn. Uh-huh. The shores of Tripoli was our first foreign military action, uh, and we were against the same folks that we're fighting right now. Um, uh-huh. I have some theory on this, and I want to see what you're thinking uh, about this. You've got a group of people who really haven't done anything amazing since inventing math, but. And, and but they also are brainwashed from childhood age that they are the supreme race, supreme human beings. Uh, everyone else, you know, the the apostates, coffers, and uh, infidels are, are dogs and to be slain and everything else. Uh, these people are raised that way, but then they see us with our huge sky rises, big buildings, flying jets, huge military might. Uh, we were in Baghdad in less time it counted. It took to count the votes that year in Florida. Uh, you know, it's in, and Iran had tried for 10 years to get into the Baghdad and couldn't do it, uh, in the Iran Iraq war. And was there a little bit of, um, shame going on in there where maybe, Absolutely. maybe I'm not totally, uh, uh, as awesome as I thought I was and I've got a little bit of jealousy going on? You Absolutely. think that's some motivation in there? Well, you know, you, you can track it at every level. Uh, part of it is just hate and fear. They're stronger than us. They're different than us. Uh, the hate and fear. From the, the fact that they're different, uh, uh, and and then greed, we want what they have, we, we 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 want that, and then to a certain degree, there's a great level of cultural shame, and then the fourth level is whatever the law is for the law's sake, and uh, and and when the the mullahs tell them that this is the law, and then then at all four levels, you get this cohesion, uh, that there is no higher level for them, there is no you know the idea of grace, uh, the Constitution is a is a level five document, but the Declaration of Independence is actually a level six document. You know, uh, the, the, this higher moral reasoning divides into two parts. Uh, you know, the social contract. Uh, we, we exist in a social contract. The Constitution is a, is a document that we can change within our environment. But the higher level of principles that the social contract lives up to is, is well represented by the, by the Declaration of Independence or by the preamble. So, but they don't have level five and level six reasons. Well, they don't so have compartmentalized. You know, if yeah, any, if this yeah, imam yeah. cleric passes a fatwa, his followers will Absolutely. kill Americans. If that fatwa says kill Americans, yeah. And, and remember, if, if our nation says go to Germany and kill Nazis, we do. Millions of Americans do. But but, but what we are is part of a, a part of a democracy, a, a republic, perhaps a republican. That's important. But you know, uh, and it's important to think talk about what our veterans have accomplished. 
They kept them off her back for 12, now 13 years. Okay, what else they did? They established the first Arab democracy the world's ever seen. This is important. I'm a graduate of the British Staff College. 1993, instead of going to... Uh, Fort Leavenworth, Kansas, New York, got to go to England for years, a young major. That was a good deal. Now, this is 1993. The Soviet Union has collapsed. The Warsaw Pact has collapsed. And doc- democracy sweeps across those nations. Democracy is sweeping across the world, except the Arab world. The only part of the world that has never had an elected government, never had a democracy, is the Arab world. Now, you know, Morocco, and Libya, and Egypt. Syria, Iraq, all those ones in between. Now, we have the representatives of 52 states, nations at the British Staff College. These are their majors, hand-selected, best and brightest, to represent their nation at the British Staff College. Every day over coffee and a break, every night over beer at the mess, we'd ask our Arab friends, why are there no Arab democracies? What's it about? How many people have asked that question? How many people have actually looked an Arab in the eye, an intellectual, a higher member of their culture, and asked that question? Well, we did, and here was the answer every time. It's our culture. Arabs won't vote. Arabs don't want democracy. There'll never be an Arab democracy. You just have to respect our culture. How do you argue with that? You create an Arab democracy. Millions of Iraqis risk their lives to go vote. How many Americans have risked their lives to go vote? They don't even want to have to show an ID. Millions of Ameri- millions of Iraqis dip their finger in that purple ink that made them a target for the next month. And around the Arab world, Arabs said, Arabs will vote. Arabs can vote. We want that too. And we've got the Arab Spring. We don't know how it's going to shake out in all these nations, but nobody can ever again say Arabs won't vote. Our military brought the sweet winds of liberty and the first elected government the Arab world has ever seen and is spreading across that part of the world like a grass fire. Will democracy take root? We don't know. But nobody can ever again say Arabs won't vote. And and, and so do you see what our guys have accomplished? And the media, 10,000 people in the media will never give our military credit for it. But you never saw a more clear-cut example of cause and effect relationships in human history. The democracy number act, democracy went sweeping through that part of the world. And, and, and the point of it is, to answer your initial question, if there's any hope for that part of the world, if there's any hope that democracy has got to be part of the answer, to drag them kicking and screaming from the 14th century to at least the 19th century. And, uh, and, 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 it, and, and we did that in our back. We did that. And 10,000 piss ants in the media will never give our military credit. Nope. Well, brothers, stay hard. Stay armed. Stay safe. And, uh, and, and please tell your listeners about that, uh, that uh, sheepdog conference in Wichita. Uh, we're, we're doing these uh, sheepdog conferences. We're getting the word out. Uh, we're not impressed if you squirreled away 50,000 rounds of ammo. We're impressed if you train with 50,000 rounds of ammo. Uh, you are the samurai. You are the nobility of our nation. Uh, you are the ones given the right to carry state-of-the-art tools and have state-of-the-art training and to administer life and death. In, in Australia, in England, somebody comes in the house and attacks your family, you grab a state knife and defend your family, you're the one that will go to jail. Uh, the, the individual citizens around the planet don't even have the right to protect their families. You walk into a man's home and you beat his family and you grab a state knife and attack them in Australia and England, you're the one who goes to jail. In America... We have the right. We are the nobility. We are the rulers. Who rules in Australia? Who rules in England? It ain't the people. It's the government. But in our government, we rule. We have the rights, and we have the responsibility that comes with that right, to train, to prepare, and be ready for a moment truth. 
that uh, next conference or seminar we're going to be doing, uh, well, I'm not going to be doing it. I'll be there yeah. with it as well. Um, cool. uh, it's in Wichita, Kansas, September 12th and 13th. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Grossman will be speaking on the 13th. Do you have time for two more questions or you need to get out of here? Absolutely. Okay. Um, and this is, as a young Marine, I was handed two books that I needed to read, actually like five, and uh, two of those were on killing and on combat. Uh, and then recently, after a couple trips to Iraq, and either it's been the the most part of my adult or my entire life, you know, I went in the, after I turned seventeen and uh, just retired last year, and uh, I I spent basically half of my life in the Marine Corps. And uh, beginning of that life, we're learning to grow up. I read those two books, and then right when I was about to retire, I read On Combat again. Uh, there was a lot of things that really made sense after the things I had seen and things that I had done in on combat. A lot of good information there. We've talked about those a lot in the show. Uh, some some good information out of that. Uh, I'm kind of summarizing some questions here of the uh, some listeners. Sure. But in the onset of a violent encounter, what can one expect to feel or have to overcome? And before don't answer quite yet. I, I want I want to make a confession. Um, uh, I talk to folks uh, in, in my classes about what they may feel as soon as they're walking through the mall and they see a guy open up with an AR or they're at a gas station and their wife and children are with them. You know, the, the average person out there who's, who's follows, the, reads your books, listens to my show and that stuff, a lot of them think that they're just going to clear clothing, get that gun out of the holster, put sights on bad guys and pull the trigger and, and there's not going to be any questions about it. I explain to people the things that I've felt in actual combat. Uh, there's a very real feeling of you've got this extreme fear of loss of life. You know it's safer. I have more chances of living if I do this, uh, if I stay in this vehicle. Yeah, the ramp's coming down, but I don't want to go out. Or if I go in this door, there's a guy in there with a gun. I probably shouldn't go in that door. We have to overcome that. So I tell people the first thing that you're going to expect, that I expected every time, not just once, the first thing that I would feel is, and I, I totally expect if I'm out with my wife and kids this, that, this evening, uh, if someone is about to hurt them or shoot somebody else, the first thought that's going to come through my mind is self, me, not wife and kids. Run to that. Get behind that. I have to put that somewhere else. And then take care of my wife and kids and do what I got to do to keep them alive. But the first thing that enters the mind for me every time was self. And I talked to other people and some people have said yes. And some people have said, no, I just cared about everybody else. And, you know, some people are kind of, they got to say things like that. You know, what are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, we, we had a section on that in long combat. I think it was pretty important. That, you know, if you, if you see somebody die, a loved one, uh, if you see some horrible act, very often the first thought is, thank God it wasn't me. That could have been me. I feel and, horrible about that. Yeah. yeah, and you feel horrible about that. But that's the way we're wired. You know, when you're in an airplane, they tell you in case of emergency, the, the, the oxygen mask will fall down. If you're traveling with a small child, what do you have to do before you put the child's mask on? Yours, of course. Put your own mask on first. Before you can save anybody else, you got to put your mask on first and then put the kid's mask on. And, 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 and that's really the reality of survival. When you, when you take the cold, hard algebra of survival and life in that situation, step one is, is for you to put your own mask on first, for you to survive first. Uh, and, and, and so if the brain thinks that way, now in many events we have to transcend that. We have to go beyond that. But don't be ashamed. I tell people don't, 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 uh, don't agonize over that. Uh, it is a normal, almost universal human response. And there's nothing wrong with that. And so much of, of what we do is, is prepare people ahead of time. 
for what's going to happen. And we try to inoculate them. We, there's really a huge body of research that says we can, we can help people prepare before the fight, before the battle, to greatly reduce the probability of post-traumatic stress disorder and, and any kind of post-traumatic problems. And, and one of the things is just to be knowledgeable about what's going to happen. Is what's happening internally to you. Then there's things like, uh, like auditory exclusion. You don't hear your shots. Uh, slow motion time. Tunnel vision. Uh, uh, the, 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 the incredible uh, 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 random thoughts that pop in. They, out of nowhere. A cop says a bad guy shoved me on his face. My very first thought was, oh, that's just like my partner's gun. How do you like it? How's it doing? You know, obviously that weird thought that pops in there. Uh, sometimes when you examine those thoughts, they're motivational. And, and then you've got half of all trained seasoned cops gaps. Gaps in the memory. Data's just coming in too fast. After a couple of days, some of those gaps will fill in. And one out of five trained seasoned cops actually remembered something that did not happen. Sometimes little tiny things, sometimes big things. So the fact that somebody's trying to kill you is bad enough. Without your body doing weird and wonderful things nobody warns you about. And, and loss of bowel and bladder control. LAPD SWAT. Uh, they're in combat every day. 17 years ago, I worked with LAPD SWAT. At that point in time, their doctrine was uh, give us 20 minutes. They negotiated the broke down. We're going in. Here's your 20-minute warning. What does LAPD SWAT do with that 20-minute warning? They call it the battle crap. Your body will help. Your body wants to dump that toxic waste, relieve that pressure. Uh, prior to penicillin, any gut wound is, a, is an automatic death sentence if you don't relieve that pressure and, and dump that toxic waste. And it's a normal response. And, and after, after decades of continuous combat for LAPD SWAT, it's just, just normal. It's one of the normal things your body does. Maybe loss of bowel and bladder control in the middle of the life and death event. A very large portion, I do in-service training in hospitals, a very large proportion of traffic accident victims have messed themselves. And it's incredibly humiliating. And a little bit of psychological first aid goes a long way. It's your body's natural response. It happens all the time to people coming in like this. Just a little psych first aid goes a long way. I've seen men tougher than me piss themselves. Amen. And then we want to forewarn and forearm people about what happens after combat. You kind of expect crazy things in combat. When crazy things happen after the event, you re-experience the event. Just re-experiencing the event is not PTSD. It's normal. PTSD is when you re-experience the event and you try to flee from the memory. You try to not think about it. You will literally drive yourself crazy trying to not think about it. You've got to make peace with the memory. Get a delinked memory from the emotions. And, and the, the first step is just to be warned that the puppy might come for a visit and that it's normal. Don't panic. By itself, it is not PTSD. It, it's almost universal for those who've been in a life and death event to varying degrees. And, and then how you deal with it is, is really the path of healing. And that's to delink the memory from the emotions. And uh, we use a breathing exercise or just taking a drink of water. Uh, something taken off across the therapeutic world like a grass fire. It's just uh, whenever that anger and fear starts welling up, stop, take a drink. Uh, it sends a message to the puppy, we're safe, we have time for a drink. And it's also a natural way to get people to breathe. But uh, uh, we're warning people the puppy might come to visit, and we're giving them some tools to deal with it. Uh, breathing, uh, there's three or four apps online now for the breathing apps. Uh, the, uh, the, the Simply the act of taking a drink of water to regain control. But here's the heart of it all. People expect to be scared in combat. Most people are very scared in combat. Courage is not the absence of fear, it's controlling the fear. People expect to have to control their fear in combat. 
nobody warned them they might have to control their fear after combat. Controlling fear in combat, controlling fear after combat is the same skill. Just nobody warned them. It breaks my heart to see brave warriors, strong warriors, men and women who will control their fear in combat, who are blindsided after the battle, when nobody told them they might have to be brave afterwards. And, and there's nothing wrong with them when this, this, these emotions come. So you see how on combat is designed to, to talk about before, during, and after. And what you talk about is one of the most important things of all, the simple fact that my first thought was about me, and there must be something wrong with me. There's nothing wrong with you. That's the way the organism is wired. Uh, there may be some exceptions out there, but I'm with you. I think the guy said, oh, no, I, my first thought was for everyone else. Maybe, right, yeah. maybe, maybe. I mean, who are we to say? But I don't think so. What else? You said you had another question. All right. Well, you it. actually answered those two. Uh, yeah. Actually, my I had three, really. I was lying to you. Uh, but yeah. you just answered all three of them. Well, uh, <laughs> yeah. It's good. Um, it's been amazing times. I mean, 500 years of gunpowder combat, and nobody ever told us, you probably won't hear the shot. 17 years ago, first son on the road. I've been retired for 17 years. I've been on the road almost 300 days a year for 17 years training military and law enforcement. I have a deep sense of urgency. Uh, I tell everybody, you go home to your children, your grandchildren, you look them in the eyes, and you swear by all that's holy that our legacy in to them will not be darkness, death, and despair, that we will not be the generation that fails to pass on to our children all the blessings bestowed upon us by our forefathers. I have a deep sense of urgency. I'm on the road continuously. And uh, there's this whole dynamic of preparing ourselves. So 17 years ago, I started on the road, the state trooper walks up and said, now I understand. He said, it's so embarrassing, now I understand. Me and my partner in one car roadblock. The guy blows a roadblock 100 miles an hour. We both fire a shot from our pistol. We leap out of the way. I get in the radio, I call the sergeant. Sergeant, she's blown the roadblock. Sergeant says, pursue it. Sergeant, we can't pursue it. Why not? There's something wrong with the ammo. Our guns just went pop. 500 years of gunpowder combat. Two state troopers failed to pursue a fleeing felon. Because nobody ever told them, you probably won't hear the shots in combat. How in the world could we have had 500 years of gunpowder combat and not learn this stuff? Well, now we are. And, and it's available. I can attribute one situation. My, my first real fight, uh, I was getting off the back of an AAV. The ramp was coming down. I had to get off. Um, I, I just, I was in front. I was a senior person in the vehicle. I was a sergeant. Everybody else was, you know, in my squad. And I remember... I, I thinking, all right, I'm going to step out here, turn left, because I don't know what this battlefield looks like. I just know there's a building to the left. I need to get some fire on it and then get a small rocket on it. I just kept picturing turning left and seeing my, my guts come out in front of me. You know, uh, we only had plates in the front, didn't have them in the back and stuff. I was like, I'm going to turn left. And I was, I had this precognition, you know, that's what we call it. Um, I mean, I, I remembered that for a little bit, and I thought back to a class that we're going to have these crazy thoughts possibly. Uh, where we're going to see something terrible, worst-case scenario happening to ourselves that may keep us from doing what we need to do. And I was visualizing something very negative that was not taking me the right direction. Uh, yeah. And as soon as I thought back to that class, I was like, oh, this is totally normal. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to do my thing because these boys are counting on me and we're going to do yes. it. But when I recognized it, it was over. Uh, and if I had not have had that training beforehand, yeah. I, I'd like to think I would have still went out and did what I needed to do right then. But, you know, I, it, I could tell one spot in my life where having a little bit of training, and it was just sitting in front of a PowerPoint that made a difference for me. Yeah. yeah. We, can, we can let people know ahead of time. Uh, I'm truly, you know, people say if, if I had 
a young guy getting in the service. I had a young cop beginning their tour. Well, what's the one thing that I could do for him? And, and with all my heart and soul, give him a copy of On Combat. On Killing's good. It's important. But more important is On Combat. That everything I've got that I would want my son to know, everything I've got based on all my years of travel that I would want your child to know before they went in their life and death event is in On Combat. The audio is actually the, the fourth edition now. And I'm plinking away at the... Uh, at the, at the fifth edition, but but everything we've got that that's of value, and I'm constantly trying to update it, is, is in that book to help us know about these things ahead of time. And and it's been just humbling and one of the great honors of my life to be able to be a service to people like you in your moment of truth. You know, thanks for your service, Mary. Welcome home. God bless you. Thank you, and sir, thank you for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. It's an honor coming having you on our little humble show. Uh, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day and doing that. And I know the listeners do as well. Probably going to get a lot of emails about this, a lot of questions. So, uh, I, if you ever need anything from us, you've got something going on, want to come on and talk, I would love to have you on in the future and just talk for 45 minutes about basically just for veterans. It's something I really care a lot about. I got a lot of buddies who are, who are really hurting. And, uh, the people that I don't know that I'm just kind of in touch with through the internet. Uh, and I would like to figure out a way to help them a little bit better. Uh, and I think the best way we can have people who've got an academic knowledge of these things help them quite a bit with some, uh, a lot of things, group therapy sessions and all kind of stuff. But, you know, what I find the best and what my brothers find the best is getting around those folks who have done the same thing and, uh, you know, helping each other out. So I'd, I'd love to have you on sometime in the future and talk about oh. that if we can figure out something. Let me add a nugget to that. Let me add a nugget to that if I may, because that's so important. One of the things we know is the path to healing is to talk about the event without the emotions. I'm talking over a beer. You know, one of the things we've done wrong in this war is we haven't had alcohol. Yes. I'm not a big drinker. I'm not a big, but you know, talking afterward over a beer and every time they begin to lose it, you stop, take a drink, you regain control. We lost that. Uh, and, and so talk with your friends over beer, uh, or a Coke or whatever your preferred drink is. And and Take every Dave Grossman said had to have an alcohol problem. It's good for you. Yes, yeah. <laughs> but whatever your 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 fluid of choice is, every time you begin to become emotional, stop. Take a drink, regain control, and begin the process of talking about the event. But just talking about it isn't necessarily healing. You need the other half. Talking about it and separating the memory from the emotion. To be able to talk about the event without the emotions come along for the ride. And every time you begin to lose it, take a drink or gain control. And that's the path to healing that I would give to our veterans there. And I would tell our veterans, one of the greatest foulest, vilest lies out there is that PTSD cannot be treated. Now, that is absolutely a lie. I, I mean, we can, we can demonstrate a hundred thousand times. It doesn't always take a lot of drugs or anything either. But so, so have faith that the help can help. Have faith that you can get better and you'll come out the other end stronger from the experience. And, 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 uh, and, and don't fail to seek that help when you need it. Have faith that help can help. And the one nugget I would give them is a path to healing, is a de-link the memory from the emotions. Make that kind of your goal, your therapeutic goal, to talk about the event without emotions come on. That's why we think EMDR is working. Uh, you know, the eye movement, desensitization, the eyes are following a visual stimulus while you talk about the event. And that's the puppy brain. The puppy brain's busy. He's chasing a ball out in the front yard. And he's too busy to come crawl in your lap and, 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 and whine and pee in your lap because you're facing that visual stimulus. Anything you can do, there are many different therapeutic paths, but to 
think about the event, to talk about the event without the emotions come along for the ride. That's the path of healing. And, and as you sit down, you said, with your fellow warriors, just talking about it, that's healing. But the next step to make the healing work is to talk about it and try to separate the memory from the emotion. Just crying in your beers is, is not a bad thing. It can be healthy. But the healthiest thing is to talk about it without the emotions. We mourn at the funeral. We go to funerals. We mourn intensely and briefly. Then we get on with life. And if we're still mourning, if we're still emotional, years later, there's nothing wrong with that. The World War II vets still have reunions and they still weep. There's nothing wrong with that. But in general, we should be able to talk about the event and separate the memory from the emotions. And, and leave the good emotions. Leave the love. Leave the camaraderie. Don't, don't try to lock down all emotions because that's the wrong path too. Uh, trying to not think about it is wrong. Trying to not have emotions is wrong. But try to delink the memory from, from the negative emotions and, and take the pride and take the good stuff home with you. I had some good success uh, coming back. And this is the last thing. We'll finish it up. Uh, the I had a chaplain talk to us and explain that you guys lost a lot of people. My, my battalion, we spearheaded the attack on the city of Ann Nazaria, spearheaded that on March 23rd. I uh, lived in that city for a few months, pretty nasty place up and down Ambush Alley. Um, lost a lot of good people there, a lot of good enemy fire, some friendly fire, some really bad situations. And we were all pretty beat up about it. The chaplain said one thing. That, I don't remember anything in the two-hour brief, but I remember one thing he said. He said, nobody's going to know what those heroes did unless you tell them. Oh, you have so- to remember and you have to tell people. You can't be like these people who've held it all in, never tell them. No one's going to know what those heroes did unless you tell them. So I decided that I was going to forget a lot of the horrible things that I saw. And, and not really forget it. I mean, it's still there. But when someone has like, hey, tell me something about Iraq or whatever. Dave, I've got about 50 stories that are just hilarious. That involve some people that aren't here anymore. Uh, and that, that they're just some really funny stuff. And some really, I remember their faces every time I tell them. You know, and it's, uh, it's, People need to know what I saw some people do and what other people saw their buddies do. And it's because they're not here to tell the story anymore. And focusing on those things, it's really helped me a lot. So now I, it's hard for me to recall some really bad things in some situations, but I can recall some really good things very, very That's quickly. It ought to be. Oh, well done. What a model for others. I, Keep I, following the path. I miss a good work, warrior culture. I wish we yes. could get that back in our country, yes. you know, where we're proud you know, of that. Laughter. Stop feeling sorry for ourselves. Powerful healing tools. Laughter is a way of saying, it has no power over me. We can talk about things, and when we laugh, we're making a deep psychological statement that says these bad things have no power over me. We, we can laugh in the face of these things, and that's a good thing. That's a healthy thing. God bless you, Marie. Welcome home. Semper Fi. Thank you very much, and uh, we'll see you. I think Jimmy told me I was picking you up at the airport. Uh, I got a question. Uh, yeah. Are you one of those guys that would like a gun in the car? When you know what I am, you don't mind loaning me one. I'll loan you one to you I'll get your luggage. No problem. Uh, some sea to shining sea. I'm a, I'm a reserve cop. <laughs> and uh, and I can't carry. I was just in Canada. My flight gets diverted to who knows where. My bags go who knows where. But uh, when I hit the ground, it's nice when somebody loaned me. A, I'm kind of a 1911 guy. If you if you got one, I can just uh, slip in. But if you know back, I'll, I'll hand you a Nighthawk. How about that? that was good enough for That's you. a beautiful thing. Thank, <laughs> you, Thank you very much. We'll see you see there. Bless. This is Dave Gross. Gunfighter cast out. Got a 
Firefighter Cast is a Paradis Academy production. Copyright Paradis Academy 2013.